You're listening to The Good GP, the podcast for busy GPs. Hello and welcome to The Good GP, the education podcast for busy GPs. Uh, today on the podcast, joining me once again is Dr Richard Lowe and Sandra Vale. Now, we're talking today about the National Allergy Strategy, but practically speaking, it, we're talking really a lot about food allergy today, guys, aren't we? And an introduction of foods. Not to say that all allergies aren't important, but that's the focus of what we're talking about. Perhaps, Sandra, you can go first. Tell us about the, the National Allergy Strategy and what it means for patients and their doctors. So the National Allergy Strategy has started as a partnership between ASCIA, the medical body, and Allergy and Anaphylaxis, the patient support organisation, to try and improve allergy management in Australia. And that is that we want to improve the quality of life for patients and ensure that they are able to access the right care from the right person at the right time in the right place. But it's all about managing their allergic condition and their quality of life. So we have a number of different projects, but what we're talking about today is our food allergy prevention project. And we have developed a number of resources for health professionals to help them to support their patients, but also some resources for patients as well to help them do the daily management that they need to do. So really what we're trying to do is have a bit more of a coordinated approach so everyone's doing the same thing, particularly getting to parents of newborn children really, right from the start to the right messages around allergies and allergy management are there and getting people thinking about allergies and how to prevent allergies from a young age basically. Yeah, and I think there's been a lot of confusing advice and conflicting advice for parents around infant feeding. So what we're trying to do is give a consistent message about the best way to approach preventing allergy in babies and supporting both health professionals and consumers and parents in how to do that. Yeah, great. And I guess, look, I'm I'm gonna cut straight to it. The messaging around allergies and food allergies and, and food introductions changed over time. You know, so as a GP, I've watched it change three or four times over the space of my career. Why does it change? You know, surely allergies stay the same and surely food stays the same. It's based on research evidence. So many years ago, based on minimal evidence, we used to say delay introduction of allergenic foods. The advice was wrong. Uh, food allergies rose instead of decreasing. Several years ago, a pivotal study called the LEAP a study, L-E-A-P, learning early about peanut, showed that if you introduce peanut in infants between 4 to 11 months of age who were thought to be high risk of developing peanut allergy, so they had conditions like eczema and egg allergy, it actually reduced the development of peanut allergy by 80%. This is huge because peanut allergy for many people is a lifelong condition. So reducing it by 80% makes a major difference in the natural history of peanut and we believe other food allergies. There are similar studies on egg but not on the other foods, but on basic principles. We believe that if you introduce what we call allergenic foods around uh, six months of age, but not before four months, we believe that will reduce a food allergy in Australia. You know, we're talking about preventing allergies for all Australians 
at a really significant rate. An 80% reduction is, is a massive rate. 80% in high-risk uh, infants, but we believe infants that are thought to be low-risk, some of them will also develop food allergy. So this is, I guess, a public health approach about informing the community about um, a way of stopping their child from developing food allergy. But before we do that, it's critical that we bring all health professionals on board to give them the right information uh, so that when parents come to GPs, they have been informed, have the right information and know what to do and what advice to give. Yeah, and I think feeding advice is a common conversation that GPs have with with mums and and dads and uh, patients in general, which is, and it's traditionally been the domain that we give advice. So particularly often very early on and then typically around that six-month sort of intervention as well when people are starting to introduce solids and ask about what they should and shouldn't do. So I think GPs are the right the right voice. Basically. I think GPs are critical. And certainly when you give immunisation, maybe around a four-month immunisation, that's certainly where advice can be given. And even about the two-month immunisation, a handout or a link to the National Algae Strategy websites uh, may be able to help parents at least start thinking about it so that when the child's ready and hungry, they certainly have all the right information. Okay, guys, well, give me the script. What should we be telling patients about introduction of, of allergenic foods? So what we recommend is that the baby has to be developmentally ready to eat. So that's why we say around six months, not before four months. And you start to introduce the iron-rich foods first because that's what baby needs most at that stage. And then once you've started introducing those foods, you can introduce the common food allergens. So peanut, egg, wheat, cow's milk, soy, sesame fish, shellfish, all of those foods can be introduced to the baby by the time they're one year of age. So that is the goal, is to try and get those foods into their diet and to continue to feed those foods to their to your baby on a regular basis so around a couple of times a week once they're accepting that food of course if they have a reaction to the food you stop giving the food but if they're taking the food and they're happy then keep it as a regular part of the family diet okay so Sandra you know the ones we're talking about would be peanut and egg from an early age practically speaking you know what would you tell uh, you know the mum of a say a five month old child to do in terms of introducing say peanut, how would you do it? So you can use peanut batter, usually something like peanut would not be a first food. Mm -hmm. You would introduce your rice cereals and some fruit and vegetables and meats first. So by the time you're ready to introduce peanut, you can introduce a little bit of peanut butter onto some soft bread Mm -hmm. or you can incorporate it into some muffins or things like that. So it doesn't have to be a whole teaspoon of peanut butter. Mm -hmm. And the National Allergy Strategy website actually does have some food ideas of how to introduce these foods through the different food stages of eating the different textures that babies go through. Mm-hmm. Great. So going to that website, which is... So the website is preventallergies.org.au and that website has a section for health professionals mm-hmm. as well as for parents. Great. What about people who, say, have another child who's got allergic conditions or we know are apprehensive or nervous about introducing it? What, what advice can we give them? So the priority is to protect the child that has food allergy. And yeah. I think the family has to make a decision about whether 
it's going to be too stressful for them to introduce peanut into a household that has a child with peanut allergy, for example. But there are still ways that you can introduce it and maintain it. So it can be introduced to the baby when the older child is out of the home or when the younger baby is visiting with a grandmother. So there are ways to do it. You can have the child in the baby sitting in a high chair so they're contained so that you contain the mess, clean up their spills and spits quickly, wash hands afterwards. And the other consideration is if the parent has a food allergy mm-hmm. and you're introducing that food to a baby as well. And sometimes there can be a bit of anxiety around that. So there, there are ways to do it. And again, the website will have information on how to do that and how to support. But often you just need to have a conversation about it to really look at how it's going to work for that family. People need to be aware that getting anaphylaxis from touching the food is extremely extremely rare. I've never had a patient develop it. You've got to ingest the food. So certainly washing your hands or washing the child's hands that's eaten peanut will make a huge difference. Mm. It's also important to let people know who are scared, and they are scared. If you've got a child who's had peanut allergy and you're asking the new baby to introduce peanut protein, if you inform them in the world literature, there are no deaths reported from peanut algae under the age of four years in the whole world. There's also never been a death from introduction of a food the first time. Mm-hmm. So if they introduce egg or they introduce milk or peanut and the child reacts, there's no reports in any of the world literature that the first time that the child's reacting to a food is going to cause a fatal reaction. Mm-hmm. I think when you let parents know that many of them are relieved because they think that if they introduce the peanut that a fatality could occur and when you tell them that it's never been reported they're relieved. Okay that's great that's really helpful information and certainly allows you to provide a lot of assurance. I guess the question though is what do you do if something happens? Part of the National Algae Strategy also is educating health professionals on recognition infant anaphylaxis. It's very much the same principles of managing anaphylaxis except an infant can't tell you. So sometimes a marked change in behaviour can be a sign of a drop in blood pressure drooling and also how you position an infant because we don't want the infant kept upright. So sometimes people keep infants upright the way you hold them and that may cause a drop in blood pressure. So again on our information sites we actually show how to hold an infant like cradling your arm so that it's almost lying flat. It's a good position to maintain blood pressure. It's a really important question. There will be infants who will react. We know that because based on the LEAP study, 80% didn't develop peanut allergy, but 20% did. Mm. So they will develop it. But we believe that these children would have developed peanut allergy at age two. You may have brought it on earlier by introducing at eight months or whenever it's appropriate. But you're not causing, we believe, the peanut allergy. We believe they would have got peanut algae anyway uh, when they were two or three whenever peanut was introduced or egg or milk. But for many of the children we hope who are at risk, they won't develop food algae, which is a lifelong condition for some of them. And do infants get the same responses that adults do with food allergy? So say swelling of the lips and say vomiting? Yes, they can. Some of them can be just 
a change in behavior. Yeah. A horse cry, again, when you ask parents, what's a horse cry? Mm. But an infant who's gurgling, playing around, suddenly develops a horse cry, uh, that's a sign of upper airway obstruction. Yeah. Certainly they can cough. And other things that we demonstrate is pale and floppy. Mm. That's a sign of a drop in blood pressure. Okay, great. So if you, you are suspicious that an infant's developed a reaction to, to foods, then you really want to try and work out what it is and you probably want them assessed pretty quickly, don't you? Yes. And many centres, including ours, are talking about whether we can set up a rapid infant allergy clinics, and that's something in Perth we're exploring. It's also important uh, for the doctors to realise that the treatment for anaphylaxis in infants is the same as in older children. If you believe the child, the infant's got anaphylaxis, the only treatment uh, is adrenaline. Mm. And the big question is, can we use EpiPen 150 in a child under 10 kilos. Certainly, our recommendations for prescribing EpiPen 150 is for 10 to 20 kilograms, but most of us believe that from 8 kilograms onwards, you can use the EpiPen 150. Mm. Uh, So that's uh, something to be aware of. And you can certainly draw ampules of adrenaline in... 0.3 0.3 or, yeah. or for 5 kilograms is 0.05. It's quite yeah. uh, a low dose yeah. uh, in there. And kids manage adrenaline very well. But it's important that some kids will be a little bit pale after adrenaline. And what we're certainly recommending for ambulance is uh, perhaps just two doses rather than a third dose. So for older infants and adults, we say if required, you can give up to three doses. But again, ASCII is trying to work through these guidelines uh, because infant anaphylaxis is still really quite rare. Mm. Okay. So let's talk about food allergies in general. Do they tend to follow predictable courses or are certain subgroups of people or or food allergies more likely to cause different patterns of disease? Certainly for peanut, tree nuts, fish and shellfish, you tend not to outgrow these allergies. So it tends to be about one in five outgrows peanut algae, a little bit less for tree nut and a lot less for fish and shellfish. We used to say that the majority of children will outgrow their milk and egg algae by the time they're around age six years. But there are some more recent studies showing that up to 20% have not outgrown their milk or egg algae by the time they're 16 years of age. Mm-hmm. It's really important. People always think about peanut, <coughs> and they should, because it's the most common cause of fatalities in terms of food algae. But more recently, milk has become as much of an issue in terms of fatal food allergic reactions. It's hard to avoid milk. Everyone's aware of peanut and tree nuts, but trying to avoid milk in restaurants, on parties, is a lot harder. So we've had recent fatalities in young adults from milk, which is something a lot of people are not aware of. Okay, that's that's really helpful. So there, there are certain foods that are more likely to persist, and there are presumably ones that are less likely to mm-hmm. persist. And hopefully by changing the way that we're introducing these more allergenic foods, we will hopefully stop the development of food algae in many of the infants. Mm. There still will be some who will develop it. We don't 
know completely how to stop it in all infants. Oh, so in, in terms of so the crossover with other diseases, what patients are higher risk of having severe food allergy or a severe reaction? Certain foods tend to cause more severe reactions and the ones that you tend not to outgrow can cause more severe reactions. Mm -hmm. We know that if you have coexisting medical conditions, so having asthma, there's some studies showing poorly controlled asthma and others showing just by having asthma, you can have more severe allergic reactions to foods. If you've got other medical conditions, there's a funny condition, rare condition called mastocytosis where you have a lot of mast cells. Mast cells release chemicals. If you've got a lot of them, you can get more severe allergic reactions to the food if you've got this condition. If you've got other coexisting conditions like cardiac problems in older adults, they don't cope with anaphylaxis as much. But bearing that in mind, even if they have got cardiac disease, if they've got anaphylaxis, adrenaline is still the medication of choice. A lot of people are scared of giving adrenaline to somebody who's had heart disease. Yeah. But the stress of anaphylaxis on the heart is it's worse, than, worse than that. So not as see adults, but it's literally, do you want to potentially have a side effect from EpiPen or get a heart attack because you're having such a severe stress on your heart from anaphylaxis? So there's no contraindication for the use of adrenaline, even in that group of patients. Yep. And obviously, if you think about food allergies, they tend to run in families, so there's a heritable element. Yes. If a sibling has peanut allergy, the risk to the next sibling is thought to be around 7%. But this could be also that the parents have been afraid to introduce peanut. Yeah. And we hope that earlier introduction may actually <coughs> markedly reduce it. But that's the group of parents that are most scared. Mm. And that's the group that probably will not perhaps introduce the foods that we wish to. And what the National Allergy Strategy is hoping that this group of parents will go to GPs and we've given some information sheets that GPs can have that will actually say this is how you can actually introduce these foods in your practice. We've been asked by GPs to develop this to help them and to a certain extent provide medical legal protection because this is advice from the Australasian Society of Clinical Immunology Allergy for GPs to introduce foods to slightly higher risk infants because of a family history or because they've got bad eczema. So there's a role for GPs in actually physically introducing these allergens in say family members or siblings of, of children who've got severe food allergy. And I suspect what's happening is that these families are already outside the practices because I certainly know in my hospital the families that are scared are introducing in the park outside the hospital or in parking spots or in cafes and know that they are outside GP practices. So this way at least they have an opportunity to sit down with GPs. Actually GPs are actually aware of what's happening as well. So it's informing GPs and hopefully giving them the tools that they feel comfortable introducing the foods in their practice. Yeah. So just in summary, GPs play a really important role in helping educate patients about the early introduction of allergenic foods from an early stage, so from really six months-ish onwards. And it can make a very profound difference in the likelihood of, of a child developing uh, food allergies and allergic disease. Yes, GPs are critical. And they have a major role because if they refer 
to allergy practices, our long waits often result in the children being seen many months after they turn one year, and probably the critical window is missed. Mm -hmm. So it's it's a way of supporting GPs through this process, and we hope that there will be some one three hundred numbers, both for the community and health professionals to also assist them if they've got some questions. So practically speaking, talking to patients about early introduction of allergenic foods, identifying potential patients who might have an allergic response and getting them, them assessed as early as possible, and continuing to support patients in, in ongoing education about food allergy. Uh, in patients that they think have a slightly higher risk with eczema and egg allergy, we're actually saying to the community and GP still introduce it. Yeah. Because trying to get them assessed may take a long time. And if you're doing a public health approach, it's really important. Like vaccines, vaccines have some side effects, but the benefits far outweigh the side effects. And we believe that by earlier introduction of these foods, by preventing food allergy, which potentially is lifelong, uh, the benefits uh, far outweigh any potential side effects. Great. Well, thank you to both of you for taking the time to talk about the National Allergy Strategy. Good luck with the rollout, and I'm sure you're going to trigger off lots of conversations with GPs and their patients. Thank you. Thank you.